Hey, it's Chris Jones with The Jones Zone, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hey, real quick, before we get started, I have a favor to ask. If you've listened to the podcast before, or if you enjoy the episode you're about to hear, please like the podcast on social media, and please leave a review. Having listeners like and review the podcast is the fastest way for it to grow and reach more people, and we really want to share our stories with the biggest audience possible. Thank you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Jones Own Real Estate Team. That's right. We sponsor our own podcast. So if you know of anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest in residential real estate in the Charlotte, Fort Mill, Rock Hill area, have them connect with us on their favorite platform. Enjoy the show. It's Chris and Brian Jones, your real estate advocates, community connectors, talking Charlotte and York County area real estate, and interviewing business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. All right, all right, all right. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. Your real estate advocates, community connectors, aka the house that Jones built. AKA no, that's it. That's it. That's it. House of Jones. No, no. AKA the House of Jones. Yes. AKA yeah, yeah, the yeah. house that Jones built. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, how's your day been? Hectic. Let really? me tell you what. Yeah, I wish there was somebody here who could just help me, like live in the now. Really? Yeah. I wish I there was somebody here that could just tell me a little bit about meditation. Living a peaceful life. Yes. I wish there was somebody here. Brian. What? I got news for you. What? You're in luck. No. What do you mean? <laughs> Today, we are joined by Jude Johnson. Yeah? Mindfulness-based stress reduction instructor at Akeen Mind. So Jude is a, a licensed marriage and family therapist offering mindfulness-based psychotherapy while specializing in mindfulness meditation to support overall health and well-being. He has a personal meditation practice, and he has completed extensive training in mindfulness-based Stress reduction, Jude. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. Good to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having yeah, me, man. So, uh, yeah, that was a brief, quick introduction. But if you don't mind, walk us through a little bit of your personal story, some of your professional background, and then um, what got you started on this stress reduction journey and a keen mind. So I really started out in learning more about mindfulness while I was at a day treatment working with adolescents with emotional and behavioral problems. Which one? I was at uh, the day treatment in South Providence in Waxhaw. Okay. Yeah, and I used to work for uh, Alexander Youth Network. Oh, nice. So you have some experience in this field. <laughs> yeah. So you know personally how challenging adolescent behavior can be sometimes just in and of itself. But then when you add in family dynamics that are not so healthy or you have a mental illness in addition or you've had lots of bullying take place that you really feel isolated alone. And kids that go to an alternative school already feel like an outcast. But then if they get put into a day treatment program, then they're ridiculed even for that. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, what is a day treatment program? So a day treatment program is a mental health service that's provided often within the structure of the school setting so that a therapist is available to talk to them to do groups in an educational setting. So they're there for you know three to six months, sometimes longer, until they can make it back to their regular setting. Okay. So it's like uh, if, a, if a kid's acting out at school and you know, they, then they put them in the, the other class, the alternative class mm-hmm. you know, with all the other kids that are acting out, and then they're acting out in that class, and it's, they're still 
acting out, then they go to day treatment. So like they don't alternative go to school. Yeah, they don't go to like. Well, it's different. It's not like a juvie or an alternative school as like a punishment. It's to work on what's whatever's going on in their mental health. Now, usually these families are involved with like like DSS or something like that. Like there's then they've been referred to a therapist, and then the therapist refers them to day treatment. Like it's just, it's a whole big big process like you can't just take your kid and drop them off at day treatment or anything right like that. It's, it, it, it's like often outpatient therapy has failed um and so the school behaviors are still escalating they can't mm-hmm. manage their emotions appropriately so at that center i was feeling like you know i was failing these kids a lot of times i knew the clinical interventions i knew the things that if they would do them would help but they couldn't apply it so that, then I started really even thinking about leaving the field and investigated a little bit into mindfulness and was saying, huh, maybe I'll give this a second shot. I took this course, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, at Duke Integrative Medicine's program that they offered online, not realizing there was one right here in Charlotte that I could have taken, um, and then started applying these skills with the kids in the classroom setting. They began to be able to manage their emotions more effectively, Um, They started developing their own mindfulness practice and even asked to do these activities at times Which blew my mind because I had never really experienced that with kids and that made me more of a believer in the practice And I also noticed that it was reducing my own stress because I was getting burned out feeling ineffective And then I started being able to care for myself in a whole different kind of way using specific strategies that worked and that was different Okay Let's take a second just to kind of walk back a little bit. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? How did you get into um, the day treatment stuff in the first place? So a little bit of your personal story, if you don't mind. Sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, so originally, I'm from Pennsylvania. Okay. And my, my parents both grew up on farms, and they moved down here to be part of Heritage USA with uh, Jim Baker and all of that. And so I actually lived on the Fort Hope grounds where my dad did like some counseling with men who were troubled with substances and had other issues. Um, and so that's what brought us down here. And you know, my father's background is that he was abandoned in a garage with his brother Charlie when he was just three years old and he was like comforting him in the winter time and DSS got involved and so in the 40s you know DSS didn't get involved unless it was really serious so he was transferred into another home that adopted him um, that had all girls and they really needed boys to work on the farm so my dad was abandoned and abused by his biological family but then was also abused by his adopted family And so he grew up with a lot of pain and hurt and suffering and watching him cope and deal with those things and him being like authentic and real with me um, really opened up my eyes to the pain and suffering that can occur in the world and the ability for us to work towards healing that. And so that's what made me really interested in counseling and psychology. And so that's why I got a counseling degree and wanted to help people in this way. But then along the path started to feel ineffective, Mm -hmm. and then that led me to mindfulness, and that's really been huge in helping me feel effective. But I think the the biggest gift in doing this kind of work is then hearing the people talk about, oh my goodness, this made such a difference. This saved my life. You know, I've worked with people that were to the brink of suicide that said because they started practicing mindfulness, they developed a greater sense of self-compassion 
And that's really what we need in order to be able to heal from deep wounds and scars because people often think of themselves as being worthless, hopeless, helpless when they get to that point. Yeah. So for the people listening who don't know what mindfulness is, can you explain to them what exactly is mindfulness? So mindfulness is just being fully present in this moment. Even right now as you're listening, whatever you're doing, sitting, walking, driving your car, being present here, but not being swept away by all of your thoughts. It's being present in a way that's observant and non-judgmental. It's trying to be a witness to your experience rather than being swept away by it all. But we get swept away by it all so easily because we have like 60, 70,000 thoughts every single day on the average person. And how many of them are you consciously paying attention to? We're multitasking. We're trying to do two things at once so we're not fully present with what we're doing. And then if we are present with what what we're doing, how often do we get judgmental and critical? We're not measuring up. We're failing in some way. Um, Whether or not it's business-related, personal-related in our daily life, we're not measuring up. We're comparing with other people. And then we're feeling poorly about ourselves. Judging. Because we think if we do judge enough, that that will motivate us into doing better because we fear that if we let go of the judgment then we will just stagnate we won't really be motivated we'll let ourselves off the hook the problem is that people confuse self-compassion with selfishness or self-indulgence it's like a baby takes uh, or a mother takes care of her baby and doesn't give her baby everything that it may want the mother gives the baby what she needs And so trying to figure out how we can give ourselves what we need, like maybe it's a break. Maybe it's going to take a nap on the weekend when you feel like you should be doing something else, but you're really tired and need the rest. Maybe it's stopping to meditate for five minutes and do nothing. But usually when we stop to do nothing and we think, well, shouldn't I be doing something? Yeah. Yeah. So that's very, I'm glad you touched upon that. I was talking with somebody last week was on the podcast a while back but you know there's there's this common thing that you're saying that, that he says you know it's like whatever you're feeling allow yourself to feel that and what happens is a lot of people go through these pains where you know they're feeling sad and they instead of embracing the sadness they kind of what's wrong with me why am i sad right. as opposed to say hey it's okay if i feel sad you know take it in and ask yourself the questions why am i sad where do I want to go and what do I want to become? You know, right. if you ask yourself those questions and you, if you fully accept the fact that you're sad instead of trying to fight it, because it takes a lot of energy. Right. You know, if, and what, how he explained it is if you're trying to fight your sadness, you're fighting joy, you're fighting happiness because it, it's all one big loop. Right. Absolutely. I like to think of it as the, that we represent like our emotions do anyway, uh, like a dam. And if we push them down and we repress them, then the waters rise and rise and rise. And finally, when we repress so long, it becomes overwhelming. And that's when people say they have a nervous breakdown. They just can't take it anymore. Everything is too much. But if we learn how to express and allow the feelings to come through us, it's so much easier because they want to. And where they're felt is in our body. And most people don't really pay attention to that because they live in their head. And that's part of what meditation and mindfulness is all about, is waking up your whole self so that you can be aware of, yeah, what's on my mind and what am I feeling and where am I feeling it? 
How do I experience it? Is it my heart, my throat, my belly? Is it changing throughout? And can I allow those feelings to be there and befriend them like they belong, just like every other emotion does? Mm. So when you were going through your hard time and you were a day treatment um, counselor and you were thinking to yourself, man, I don't know if I'm making a difference or I don't know if this is working out, what kind of flipped the switch? Was it finding this program and then also like, man, I got to give you props because social workers, it's a field that just burns out so fast. You, you know, you, you aren't sure if you're making a difference. You know, I can't tell you how many uh, families I've had where I've worked with children or parents and then they went back into the home because I used to do foster care right so they would come into the, one of the foster homes and do great and be and think man alright I think this kid's going to make it they'd go home mm-hmm. and it's like you got to fix the, the family the whole family you can't just work on the kid you know and so you would always worry about that and you do struggle with the stories that you hear and I'm sure you get case files that come on your desk and you're just like man the parents burn this kid or whatever right um, the abuse and neglect that you come across and it was very uh, inspiring that you realize before you burned out I mean you might have been on the brink you know and you just made that change I mean how, can you talk about that a little bit absolutely I mean I was to the point to where I'm thinking about opening up my own yogurt store right yeah and, like <laughs> how can I do something completely different and serve somebody else and, and, and do it that way this, this path is really hard and I'm being ineffective I might as well go do something else and actually what happened is I started listening to uh, this webinar, uh, this online training on emotional freedom techniques. I don't know if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of it. But it incorporates like tapping on certain points in the body that represent acupressure points. And I thought it was quite weird, but I was like, okay, whatever. I'll, I'm getting ready to have my first child. I'm having a, a little bit of a, a work crisis. And now what am I going to do the rest of my life? Um, and so I started doing this, and it was about showing yourself compassion, being present with your emotions. So it was very similar to mindfulness. And that was somewhat effective with the kids, but the whole tapping thing seemed weird and isolating from others, so they couldn't use these skills in the class. So I was like, I gotta find something else. Um, so in searching with this, uh, you know, my, my partner at work, Karen, um, she was the director at the time, and she was also looking for evidence-based treatments she came across mindfulness-based stress reduction. And then I also had a friend that worked at Duke as an administrator who had taken this class. And she's like, yeah, I started meditating. It's great, you should check it out. Then I started reading all the research. And that's when I really started to get hooked in. And I was like, this can change your brain. Like this article from Harvard and UMass Medical says that healthy individuals that don't have any ailments grow new neurons in their brain Um, in the hippocampus that's responsible for memory and emotion regulation, well then what's that gonna do for people who have depression and anxiety, who we know that there's atrophy of the brain in the hippocampus for people with major depression and post-traumatic stress. So, and now the research is just going further and further that says, hey, you know, this can actually help with symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. This can help cognitively with students who are prepping for the GRE that they'll score higher or better because they're more present because they can use other faculties mm-hmm. all right so w- what does this program look like for someone that's interested now your business is called a keen mind that's right and but the program that you put people through or help guide people through is called the mindfulness-based stress reduction 
That's correct. Okay, so what's that program look like? So people come to an orientation that's about an hour and 15 minutes long where they learn about these different practices, what the structure of the course actually looks like. Um, I lead them through a guided meditation. I let them know that if they want to take this, they have to commit to the process of 30 to 45 minutes of formalized practice every day, six days a week. They need to show up to all the classes and be committed to them that they set some goals for what it is that they want to accomplish in their life. It doesn't have to be directly related to mindfulness or meditation. Um, and you know that they're making that commitment and then they understand the risks and benefits. So people are like, risks for meditation? Well, there actually are because you know if a person has post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, stopping to meditate or meditate on the body might not feel like a safe place for them to be because of some of the things they've been through. So we encourage folks um, that have a major illness that's maybe not treated to get into treatment. If they're in treatment, they may be able to take this and it works great for them. Or even if they're stable, it may work great for them. Sometimes it works great for them alone, but that's kind of like an individual conversation that I have with folks about that. But then when they actually start the class, you know, the first session is two and a half hours long and I educate them on how stress impacts the body and the mind and what mindfulness is and what meditation is and then we meditate together and we start with the body scan. As I said earlier, we're living in the brain, we're not connected so much to the body, so we want to familiarize ourselves with what it feels like to live in this body. So we do body scan starts from the bottoms of the feet all the way up slowly to the crown of the head. We're witnessing the body with curiosity, with attentiveness, um, sometimes people report non-feeling, so okay, notice that. Notice if there's coolness, warmth, vibration. Then we move as the class progresses to awareness of breath meditation. So just a 10 minute meditation, they can do guided or unguided, um, and they practice that on their own and they build that. We do standing and lying down yoga, hatha yoga, very gentle, adaptable to anybody, you know, regardless of physical limitations. Um, we do mindful movements which are kind of in line with the yoga and as the class progresses we have longer periods of silence with the meditation so that people can kind of begin to kind of practice and direct their own attention rather than the, the teacher saying now come back to the breath. They begin to do that. We add in things like loving kindness meditation which is focusing on compassion for yourself and compassion for others and compassion for all of life which really can produce a lot of happiness. And throughout all eight weeks, we encourage people to come up with three things that they are truly grateful for in their life and to try to make those things different each day throughout the course. Um, we encourage them to do mindful activities in their daily life, like eating a meal mindfully. What does that mean? So can I, can I take this? Because here's what I think of, I've been reading the book, Living Buddha, Living Christ. Yes. Eating mindfully, the way the author, I uh, forget his name. Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes. I didn't forget. I just couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> Eating mindfully, taking about 30 bites per, per bite or 30 chews per bite, whatever. Just being aware that you're what you're putting into your body. Um, I could be mistaken, but if it's like a... Now, if I'm wrong, please sure. elaborate, please correct me. But like if you're eating a cow, like a beef burger, just being thankful for the cow maybe right right being being grateful and that you're eating and being mindful that you're eating so we start out like in the program class one we eat a raisin 
And I encourage them to hold the raisin in their hand and to study it and look at it and observe it and look at the colors and think about where it came from. Then we take the raisin and we examine it even closer, looking at all the dents. Even put it up to your ear and listen to what a raisin sounds like. Smell it. Don't eat me. Right? <laughs> and then instead of just popping it in your mouth and chewing it up and swallowing, you put it right here at the lips and you notice the anticipation that you feel. You accept it into your mouth and you notice how your tongue automatically knows where to place the raisin. And then you slow down enough to actually notice tasting and chewing, which how often are we not noticing? You know, I played sports in high school and I was always like in a hurry. Mm -hmm. I've been in the service industry and many different jobs that I've done, so they're always time limited. I need to eat quickly so I can move on to the next thing. So then I don't enjoy my food, I'm not really present for it. So mindful eating could even just be like, let's just eat one bite mindfully. So anybody listening, you know, hey, the next meal you have, maybe just look at your food for a moment, notice the colors, maybe be grateful about like all the people that it took in order to get that meal in front of you. And then notice how your hand can actually place the food right in your mouth. And that's, a, that's amazing, right? Because there's people with neurological problems that can't do that. But we take that for granted just because we're eating and we're in a hurry. But then if we can actually taste our food, you might even want to close your eyes and really get into the sensations. It's a beautiful experience. I used to do that as a kid, eating cereal. That's right. Chris <laughs> would always make fun of me. Why are you doing it? I mean... I was, little did you know, I was mindful eating, Chris. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought you were just having some sort of weird affair with your cookie crisp. No. So... Jude, when somebody's like, so I talk about meditation a lot, and mm -hmm. one of the common feedback, I, the common, some of the common feedbacks and problems I get from people or they consider a problem is, yeah, I tried it, but my mind wanders. What do you say to them? I say, welcome to the club. Thank you. You're a human being, and everybody's mind wanders, and a, a, a wandering mind is not the problem. It's something to be embraced. Yes. You know, it's like the mind is creative. It's designed to create thoughts. They're only problems if we say they're problems. It's like think of your mind or being who you are as representative of like a clear sky, right? Clear blue sky. And your thoughts and your emotions are represented by clouds and storms. They're going to come. They're going to go. Some are going to hang out for a while. Your job is to simply notice that they're there. Mm -hmm. I see you, I acknowledge what's happening just like with emotions, and then invite myself to come back a billion trillion times to this moment on what I'm attempting to meditate on, which most commonly is the breath of the body. So it's like, okay, I see you over there, acknowledgement, I don't have to judge it. I could get easily lost in the story of my thoughts and start trying to problem solve or obsess over those thoughts, and if I do that, it's the same process. Oh, look, I'm obsessing yeah. over these thoughts. Now let me come back into this moment with this breath. And that's actually a, a good thing when you when you recognize what you're doing. Uh, like when your mind wanders, if, if you recognize that your mind is wandering, that's a good thing because you can actually stop it or attempt to stop it and come back to Then you the can breaths. redirect your focus yes. and attention, which is the thing that we do have control over, but we often think we don't. Well, I can't control where I'm putting my attention. Of course you can. If something serious enough happens, it draws your attention. You focus all your attention on it. But then we can get stuck there. We see a negative news cycle, right? Oh, man, here it is, here it is. And we have a tendency to focus on the negative. Our brains are like Velcro for that stuff. And they're like 
Teflon for the positive experiences. But if we can learn to redirect our attention, it strengthens that muscle of mindfulness, of being more present. And that's the, that's the exercise. So to not see it as a problem, but to come back as many times as necessary, and then with time, what people notice is, oh, there's space between my thoughts. There's less reactivity from me to my thoughts themselves. Interesting. How does someone get started with meditation? Should they download an app or should they just sit there and kind of take time to themselves? And what do you define meditation as? So first I'll define meditation, which is the process of just being, not trying to get anywhere in particular, while focusing on an object of awareness. And you can pick whatever that is. And the kind that I teach is not religious or spiritual in nature, but in every spiritual tradition you can find meditation. So it's meant to be accessible to everyone, and it's just present moment awareness, not trying to get anywhere, not trying to make anything special happen. A lot of times people think, I should be relaxed when I meditate. I should have a clear mind when I meditate. Says who? This isn't working. Well, yeah. well the reason, it's funny because this morning I was literally, I was laying in bed with my daughter, and I was literally just staring at the clothes in my closet with like this complete blank stare. And my wife's like, you know, she's getting ready for work. And you know, she's like, are you okay? And I was just like, yeah. I was just kind of... And I didn't use the word meditating because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have my eyes closed or I didn't focus. I was just like, yeah, I'm just thinking. But I guess that's meditating, you know. Right. You were just being present and you were aware of what you're doing. You know, homo sapiens are the species that knows and knows that it knows. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times we don't really know that we know because we're not. It's like a tiger. A tiger doesn't know it's a tiger. A tiger doesn't go kill a gazelle because it wants to kill a gazelle. It goes kills a gazelle because it's hungry and it needs to eat. Don't know how that fits in here, but it reminded me of something I was reading in the book earlier called The Inner Matrix. Well, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, the tiger isn't going to have all this forward thinking like, oh, if I don't get this meal tonight, it's exactly. really going to be tough. Or last time I almost missed him, you know. It's like they don't do that, but that's how our minds are different is that we stay oriented to, to time with knowing what to expect or predicting the future or replaying the past. It's normal, and we don't need to demonize it. It's a wonderful gift to be able to reflect and to say, hey, what am I going to plan to do? Um, wonderful. But if we're there too much, then we can't be present, and then we miss important moments of our life. It's like I wasn't paying attention because I had my phone, and you were trying to tell me something important. Um, you know, I remember my kids even saying, "Daddy, you know, you love your phone." You know, it's like not more than you. Okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Put it down. I just started doing that recently too. Uh, when I get home, I, I shut it off and put it up, and I don't get it until they uh, come back from. Back is that why you faster. don't? Is that why you like don't <laughs> respond to my, my my messages until like three hours later? Recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was wondering why. Sorry, I guess I never told you that. I just uh, I was like, oh, I what did I do now to make Chris mad at me? No, I, I just go. You know, I walk through the door at five thirty or six, and I put my phone up for. You know what hours. that reminds me of? Saved by the Bell. Zach Morris's dad. Zach Morris had a call oh, on the cell yeah, phone. Yeah, it's like, yeah. is this the only way I can get attention? Your attention? He's like, oh, sorry, Zach. Sorry, son. Then he starts. They start talking again. His phone rings again. He's got that big cell phone. He's like. I'm taking time with my son today. <laughs> yeah, and then a lot of times we have regrets that we weren't more present later on in life. Yeah. So we want to be able to capture our moments because the life goes by so quickly. And time is one of those pressures that we're always feeling. You know, it's like I don't have enough of it. And we... 
ahead. Yeah, so there's this Jay Shetty. Do you know Jay Shetty? Are you familiar with him? He's a former monk. The name sounds very familiar. So he has, there's this viral video, and it's like, before you take someone for granted, watch this video. You watch the video, and it's, it's got this, this husband and wife, and the husband's like uh, rushing, grabbing his keys. He's about to head to the door. He's, he's heading out the door, and the wife's like, I got something to tell you. He's like, we'll, we'll talk when I get home. We'll talk when I get home. Mm-hmm. You know, and then like, fast forward a couple of seconds later into the video, he's at work. He gets a phone call. And it's a doctor. Sorry, we, uh, we hate to tell you this, but your wife was in an accident this morning. She died on the way to the hospital. There's nothing we could do. And then, like, he gets he gets home, and what she was trying to tell him was she was pregnant. Uh, mm, yeah, so, I mean, it hit, it hit home. So the video is ultra viral, but that it just goes to show you, it's like, being, you gotta be, you gotta make it, make yourself aware that time is precious, I guess is what I'm yeah, trying to say. Absolutely, time is so precious. And that's why I love teaching these skills so that I can remind myself that I need to be more present because you know I get distracted just like the next person. You mentioned like, well, how does a person get started in this? You know, There are a lot of different apps that you can download now. Insight Timer is one of them. Lots of free meditations on there. Lots of different teachers that you can follow. I, I don't use the guided ones, but they have bells that you can set with interval timers so mm-hmm. that you could like meditate for 30 minutes and have it go off every 10 minutes in between so that you kind of know where you're at in the process so mm-hmm. you're not like watching the clock. <laughs> yeah, I have insight timer. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, it, also doing like just classes, going to community groups. You can go to different community groups where people meditate together. Actually taking a class and practicing with other people is a wonderful way to start, but it's not necessarily necessary. But a lot of us find support in groups of people and to know that other people are having some of the same struggles we are, which is why I do this. Like I, I'm actually in the process of teaching an online class right now that's just four weeks long for people. Um, but it's, it's online, so it takes a little bit of the personal aspect out of it, but people still know that they're doing this kind of work together. And they might be more comfortable that way, some people. You know. I think some are, yes. You mentioned uh, telling people about the risks of doing this. Mm-hmm. Which is fascinating to me. I never thought about that, but it's so true when you say that. If someone's starting to get in touch with themselves and really starting to examine their life, they could easily drum up trauma from from childhood. You know, someone like your dad, you know. Yes. And um, have you had any instances where that kind of, not backfired, I don't think that's the right term, but someone was just kind of like, oh man, dude, this messed me up even more. Well, I have, I've heard stories of where people have said that it has messed them up even more. Um, even meditation teachers who have things come up for them because they're supposed to be the teacher and they go on these long silent retreats and lots of stuff comes up and, hey, what you're supposed to do is be non-judgmental. You're supposed to be compassionate to yourself, but you're feeling stuck. So, you know, I have worked with people that are going through a really rough time, but they're also getting therapy at the same time. And that seems to really help and benefit them. But, you know, I have had the occasional person who needed to drop out because their stress levels were so high that they couldn't settle their nervous system down enough to really benefit from the, the skills of mindfulness and meditation. So what does that look like? They're, they're sort of having like panic attacks and stuff? Panic, anxiety, um, you know, some people just felt like they couldn't sit still, that that was anxiety provoking. Some people will find that, you know, like the body scan meditation is so frustrating for them to do. While other people are like, oh, thank goodness, breath meditation. I'm so glad it's here. And then others will be like, oh, I really wish I could do the body scan. Now you're wanting me to do breath. 
So we do encourage people to try out all the practices, but to understand in the end, what you're doing is you're developing a practice that you can maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yours. You know, you decide how to structure that. And after the eight weeks, they they should should have the skills, ideally, to keep this going forever, right? Well, right. They will have the skills, um, but they may also need support to keep it going. You know, to even find somebody, you know, a family member or friends who will meditate every once in a while, who commit to being present, going to a community group, and there's various places that you can go. I used to teach for the Charlotte Center for Mindfulness, and they offer a Wednesday morning community group, and we still partner on our retreats. Um, you know, so they're a wonderful organization who does a lot of the same work that I do, and they're also doing work in the schools, doing some mindful schools work, which I personally believe is where a lot of focus and mindfulness needs to come into schools so that we can help equip kids with the skills necessary to manage such difficulty and turmoil and bullying and social isolation, you know, especially with how connected we are with technology, we can be so disconnected from actually engaging with each other. Are you still working with children? I got the impression this was more for adults. But it is. This class specifically is for adults. Um, you know, in counseling, I still do see some okay. adolescents and some older kids. Um, and I continue to enjoy working with kids. I'm actually doing an event for um, Myers Park uh, Presbyterian where I'll be doing some mindfulness education to teens and their parents um, actually this Saturday. So um, that's an opportunity where I'm going to reconnect with teens. Um, and that's something that, you know, I've always enjoyed working with them. I don't know how that's going to pan out with the, the ways I'm going forward, but we'll have to see. Are teenagers usually receptive or do they think this is corny and whack and all that? I mean, are they like... Whack? I'm try- I can't, I want to, sp- I'm not going to speak like a real teenager speaks. <laughs> whack? But I mean, do they, have you had a teenager that was just like, this is silly. And then like, they really, man, they gravitated toward it and it worked. Absolutely. I mean, in the day treatment program, a lot of them are like, meditation, like, I've tried that before, that's stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not going to do that. And we had some kids that were resistant to it, but I think the bulk, the majority of them, really could start to see the benefit. And then they were like, wow, this, this is really good. I mean, I specifically remember one kid taking him home and hearing him say, I feel relaxed. Like, he was surprised. Like, oh, this is a different kind of feeling that I'm not so used to. Yeah. Especially if the, the home life is so impactful for those those youth that you're going to come across. You know, it's like um, the kid might buy in, but if he goes back to that environment over and over again, it's hard to stay positive and mindful. It really is, and we know that, you know, those early years are the most formative in our development. You know, it's where we do the most development of our brain between zero and three years old, and there's all this pruning that goes on. You know, fortunately, I believe skills like mindfulness are things that adults can do that have had very traumatic and difficult childhoods, along with other therapy modalities like EMDR um, and other treatments like... EMDR is eye movement reprocessing desensitization therapy where they do a lot of stimulation of bilateral stimulation with the brain. So, you know, one therapist I met recently had these little things that would vibrate in your thumbs, right to left, left to right. 
And when people are processing traumatic events, if they're stimulating both sides of the brain, it seems to allow them to help reprogram how they experience those negative events from their past. That's a very rudimentary explanation of what it is because I don't practice it, but I do believe in that practice because of the research and the benefits I've heard from people. So I will tell people, as a way to soothe yourself, just tap on the right leg and the left leg, kind of back and forth and that stimulates both sides of the brain. It also grounds you into the present moment with sensation, something as simple as that. And that's really what we're waking up through with mindfulness is we're using our senses to be present, awake, and aware. Yeah. You've mentioned self-compassion a few times. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between self-compassion and just straddling that line between being selfish or self-full and having self-compassion? Like the importance of taking care of yourself versus the perception of being selfish. Excellent point. Um, I think that self-compassion automatically equates to compassion for other people. And that's how we know if we're practicing it right. Because uh, if we're practicing self-compassion, we're really having empathy for our state without judgment. And if we are having empathy for somebody else's state without judgment, then we're having compassion. I don't know if that really answers yeah. your question quite enough. I mean, it's like if you can't really fully give other people what you don't have, so if you don't show yourself and treat yourself with kindness and understanding and compassion, it's really hard to treat other people in that way because really often what we're doing is we're projecting out onto others how we treat ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like if the things you said to yourself sometimes. Yes. You'd want to punch the guy right? if somebody else said I mean, said if somebody that. else said that, you would be really ticked off, but you'll say it to yourself because you're frustrated. You should have known better. You idiot. Like, yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I call myself names sometimes when I make a careless mistake where I think, you should have known that. You idiot, what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, and then if I can catch myself, then I can stop that diatribe from continuing. Yeah. And then how do you make time for yourself without being selfish, I guess? is like, you know, like, if you need some time to yourself or you need to get back into your hobbies or do the things that make you feel like you, how do you talk to people so it doesn't sound like you're being selfish, you know? Like, I don't want to go to the thing that you invited me to I don't right. want to do that that doesn't right. make me happy or fulfilled so right. how do you make that balance I think it's about first connecting with what you really feel right and then it's about explaining to the other person uh, what you experience when you agree to maybe do something that you really don't want to do and that when you're there maybe that's a source of stress and then explaining to them what you would like to see it be like and then making a request, like, would you be willing to let me go and do this thing or spend this time doing this because it means a lot to me because it's gonna help me feel better or whatnot. Um, and I think that that is a tightrope balance, especially with kids. Um, you know, uh, my kids, if, if I would be willing, they would want me to play with them all the time. Right. Right? Um, but that's just simply not possible, I have to, you know, Help with their dinner. Help get. Things Can you tell that to Brenna, my four-year-old? Because if I <laughs> yeah. don't play with her, the one time I don't play with her, she's like, you never play with me. <laughs> so I'm gonna make her listen to this. You right. hear that? 
And the hard part is that we also know that these moments are precious too, yeah, right? right? And they're fleeting. And so it's like, I want to give in to that. And so it is a balance. And I think the thing to pay attention to is, um, am I in a place to really give my best to other people? And if I'm not in that place, then there's probably some indication that there are ways that I need to be taking care of myself or trying to reprioritize things in my life so that I can take care of myself enough in order to be present for other people when I they need me or they want me to be there. Yeah, it's hard, man. It's hard to find that balance, especially, you know, the three of us have two kids and you have a spouse and work and it's tough to find time for yourself and make sure that... Uh, your heart's full, so you have enough to give to other people. Uh, all right, so we got to talk about sensory deprivation, Brian. Yes, let's do it. Uh, we found out that Jude has a float tank in his house, or float tent, whatever you want to call it. Um, tell, um, tell the people I'm real jelly. Is, I'm real jelly. Yeah, that's something we, we we've probably talked about that on this podcast. That's at the least, most. I think that's the most thing we've at ever, least like, a I, dozen. Yeah, times. that's probably oh, what wow. we've talked about most on this. Because podcast. we always ask people, "Hey man, have you tried, you tried floating?" And, What's, and most of them <laughs> usually it's like, "No, what is it?" But for you to say, "Yeah, I have one in my house," it's just <laughs> like, "What?" So how did you come across floating, and then what inspired you to? I'm going to put one of these things in my house. Like, hey. Right. So one of my really good friends was going to Buoyance, which I think you guys told me earlier yeah. is now called something different. And he was explaining how relaxing it was and how peaceful it was and how everything was locked out. And I just automatically equated that of like, that's a meditative experience. Right. Um, and then I heard other things and, and started doing a little bit more research and seeing that there are float centers all over the place. And I read an article recently that, you know, the New England Patriots were using floating to help recover. And, you know, all these people beginning to explore it more. And so I just decided this is really something that's going to probably benefit me. It's going to be active self-care, which is what we've been talking about. Yeah. That this is something that someone could see as like, well, that's really selfish. You decided to spend, you know, almost $3,000 on this thing. And but for me, I think that I value experiences over things, even though this thing is providing me an experience. But it's one that I can create over and over again. And for me personally, it allows a complete letting go. You know, my body is weightless with 800 pounds of Epsom salt there. The temperature is about the same as my skin. So there's this sense of floating in space. And all you can really hear is the breath, the heartbeat, and there you are with your thoughts. As long as you keep the salt out of your eyes and, you know, you keep your, your ears nice and plugged then you know i just sit there and meditate on lots of different things i mean sometimes the breath sometimes i do a body scan sometimes i focus on loving kindness that's amazing man is it it's the tent's not soundproof is it it's not soundproof but you really can't hear a lot unless you put in the earplugs and you're underwater um, yeah you just tell the wife and kids to leave you alone for an hour and you, you knock and <laughs> the, the majority of the time I float when they go to bed. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I'll just do that and then I'll shower and I'll go to bed and I'll sleep wonderfully because you get all that magnesium into your body that helps your muscles relax even more. Yeah. Can you, have you ever tried to float? <laughs> this is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm asking you this. Have you ever tried to float face down? Um, I, <laughs> I, not for long. <laughs> No, I, I laid there on my belly just to see what it would be like, but you that's, know, that's you more, literally would have to be holding yourself. That's more up like the what I mean, time. I guess. I know that sounds You would so drown, stupid. you dummy. I didn't mean the whole hour. I just meant like 
Uh, I don't know why that visual just popped in my head. I was like, I wonder if anyone's ever tried to do that just for like <laughs> 30 seconds or whatever. <laughs> pop up about the. <sighs> Um, all right, so who should take this uh, MBSR? I think I'm going to take it. People huh. March 29th is the thing. Mar- March 27th is the 27th. orientation. Okay. Um, and then the actual class starts two weeks later because of spring break for a lot of okay. people on April 10th, and they'll run eight consecutive weeks. Um, and then after week six, there'll be the all-day retreat. But uh, who should take it is basically people who are breathing. Everyone. I mean, literally, I, I believe almost everyone. I mean, I think there's always an exception to the rule. As we mentioned, there are some risks, and they not may not be ready for a practice like this or maybe not ready for something this intense. But I really do believe these mindfulness skills are for everyone um, and that so many people can benefit. Awesome. A lot of helpers. So I will say this, that I have therapists take it. I have MDs that have taken it. Um, all different pers- professions that you can imagine They've taken this class, and and the training that I did was with people from all different kinds of professions. So I think it can be huge for us to wake up to be more present, more peaceful, less stressed. Excellent, excellent. Well, Jude, let's take uh, the last minute or so to kind of wrap up, tell everybody who you are, what you do, uh, just real briefly, obviously, and um, most importantly, how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Um, So as you know, my name is Jude. Johnson. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find me at akeenmind.com. You'll find all about my class and about my background. So I hope you'll check me out. I appreciate you guys listening to me and having me on, both Chris and Brian. You guys are great. Awesome, man. Who do you like better, me or, me or Chris? Well, of course I can't judge, so yeah. there's no way He's for me to possibly uh, do that. That would be out of the line of being mindful. <laughs> I was testing you. you I passed. know. That was good. You passed with that. All right, Jude. Thanks for coming on the podcast, right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Jones Zone podcast with Chris and Brian Jones. We'll catch you on the next episode.